All right, welcome to the show. Last one's at the bar. Um, today we have a unique episode. We have one of our members won't be with us today, so this should be a pretty um, quick or a much quicker episode. Um, my name is William Henry, and um, I'm joined by my co-host. And I'm Lavelle Jackson, and we here. Uh, last one's at the bar. Absolutely. And this episode, we're going to discuss the top 10 uh, lefty southpaws of all time. Um, well, I shouldn't say the, the ones of all time because I haven't seen all of the fighters, or we haven't seen all the fighters. So I know on my list is more so the best uh, southpaws that I've seen. So I don't know how your, your list is, Bill. How did you, um, you know, compose yours? Yes, well, this list was a little challenging, so I had to go off uh, uh, the ones I've seen. I mean, maybe the top four or five were, were easy because uh, a lot of them, they fall into all-time great territory in general. But once on that other end, you know, especially the uh, last four or five, you know, it's a little difficult, uh, but we, just, we can get right into it. Okay, bet. So you want me to kick it off or you want to start it off? Uh, you can kick it off. All right, bet. So, again, with my list, I went with the quality of victories, um, achievements, and then also um, it's really three categories, quality of victories, achievements, and then the big biggest category is the eye test, the abilities, um, you know, especially when they were at their peak. I'm not really thinking about longevity or anything like that. I'm talking about the fighters when they were at their best. These are the fighters who I think are the top 10 softballs, especially the ones that I've seen. I'm going to add in a few things. Just a couple of guys that you won't see on my list. You won't see um, any of the new guys. I think they're still building their legacy. So you won't see a Spence on there. You won't see a Crawford on there. You won't see Loma on there. Not on my list. And those guys, you know, in the future, they may make the list. But I'm going to let their career play out and see how things, um, you know, work out. And they might make a list later on. You won't see them. Um I got a couple honorable mentions. Zab Judah won't be on the list. He was close. Um, Jose Luis Ramirez was close. There's a couple guys that I've seen videotapes of, but I can't really say because all I saw was videotapes, so I don't have any of those guys on my list as well. Um, I got two honorable mentions. Um, one is uh, Sergio Martinez. Sergio Martinez with the victory over Pavlik. Um, Paul Williams, um, very flashy fighter. Um, very uh, skillful fighter, but he was he, he made the honorable mention list. And then also um, Antonio Tarver. Antonio Tarver did not make my list, and he holds the victories over Roy Jones, two victories over Roy Jones, um, quality victories over Glenn Johnson, Montel Griffin, Eric Harding. So he just missed my top ten. Now, the first fighter that made my top ten list – Again, some of these fighters are going to be a surprise to you. But if, I, if I'm going based on the criteria of quality of victories, achievements, the abilities, um, and then truly, like if you're thinking about pound for pound, I know we're not talking about a pound for pound list, but he fits that category too because he started off his career at 168. And so my number 10 softball is Chris Bird. And so Chris Bird, he, um, you know, had the victory over Vitaly Klitschko. I mean, he had some quality victories over Holyfield, David Tua. Um, and then he also had the draw with Andrew Galata. And so he's the first person on my top 10 pound for pound softball list. 
Okay, okay. Uh, and um, just like you will, I had honorable mentions. Uh, some of them are similar. Uh, I had Sergio Martinez on there. Uh, he barely made the list. Uh, he was, yeah, he's one of those names who just almost got in. Uh, Zab Judah was one of my honorable mentions as a you know undisputed champion at uh, welterweight, and you know he had some tough losses that took away from his his legacy a little bit. But you know he, he was very slick at times. You know uh, he could dominate. Uh, then also I had I did have Antonio Tarver on uh, as an honorable mention. You know tricky Southpaw gave Roy Jones lots of trouble even in the first fight. Um, very long guy, tall guy for a, a light heavyweight. Uh, he was just maybe a just a few. He's need a few more career defining victories. I think had he beaten uh, Bernard Hopkins, I think he would have uh, made this list. Uh, my number ten um, is actually the other heavyweight, Southpaw heavyweight that I know of, and that's uh, Michael Moore. Um, just like Chris Burr, he's one of the few heavyweights. Uh, that are actually Southpaw. It's not too many that became champions, actually. Uh, and Michael Moore is one of them. Of course, he had the uh, victory over Evander Holyfield. Uh, of course, he got to have the loss to uh, George Foreman. But also, um, he was dominating that light heavyweight uh, even before moving up. And when he moved up to uh, heavyweight, he had victories over, you know, Burt Cooper, who was a, you know, tough guy. Um Bone Crusher Smith, a little bit past his prime. But Michael Moore, uh, he was one of the few heavyweights that did not have that title. Um, I had him on my list at number 10. That's Michael Moore. Oh, yeah. Michael Moore. Um, well, I'll get to him. Now, I told you what my list is primarily based on the fact of a fighter's quality of victories, their achievements, and the eye test. And so, again, with my list, 50 goes for the eye test, 25 for the achievements. Uh, quality of victory is also 25. Now, that's basically nine out of the 10 guys that I have on my list. That's the criteria that they met. One guy on here, he's on here just based on the fact he, he just, he's going to break the rule, you know, because sometimes you have a rule and it's always that one person that, you know, is going to make it just based on the fact that they were just so outstanding and they just, they may not meet the requirements, but they all—they definitely should be on your list. And so I'll get to the name of the fighter. The other reason why I had to put this guy on my list is because of the fact that I have some other guys that in, are in the same weight class as him, and they're, they rank higher. If I, I can't leave him off the list because of the fact that if those guys, if he clashed with those guys at his peak, at their peak, I bet money that he would have defeated those guys. So my number nine fighter is none other than Michael second to none. And as I said in a previous episode from 88 to 91, I'm telling you, you've got the closest thing that you got to 1960 Muhammad Ali. Look at the victory over Frank Tate. Look at the win over Juan Domingo Rodan. Look at the one punch KO of Salambu Kalimbek. Tell me he's not a top pound for pound when it comes to the Southpaws. Um, so again, my number nine fighter is going to be Michael second and nine. Okay, okay, that's a good pick. Uh, my number nine fighter is none other than Hector Macho Camacho. Uh, 
He's a personal favorite of mine. You know, I, I grew up watching him, so it's a bit of nostalgic there. Uh, but even before uh, that fight with um, Rosario, that kind of, you know, he took a took a, a hard shot, and he, you know, he changed his style from from then on, and it, he didn't take a lot of risks after that. But one thing he did show that 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 I always uh, respect him for is that he was he always showed toughness. He was never a fighter, no matter how much you were beating him, because he took some beatings from you know Trinidad and De La Hoya and even Chavez. He didn't quit. He was right there. He, he didn't quit. He took the punishment. He tried to move around, use his defense. But even when you look at fighter his fights before that with people like uh, Ray Mancini and, and Howard Davis Jr., uh, Petty Roach, uh, Camacho was like 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 magic watching him in the eighties. You know, I, th- I think it gets forgotten how good he actually was because he never reached the pinnacle of what he could have reached. But uh, that's my number nine. Uh, Hector Macho Camacho. I got you, Hector Macho Camacho. I remember growing up watching Hector, man. And, and seeing him fight out there, training in Puerto Rico, you know, with the skills that he had. He's on my list, too, so I won't say too much about him right now. But getting to my number eight fighter, I got who you already mentioned, Michael Moore. The only thing that I can add other than what you didn't say, you know, the victory over Holyfield. He beat an all-time great. Um, he was a light heavyweight champ at one point. Then he became the heavyweight champ. You know, he's one of the first fighters to ever win a WBO title. Um, so, you know, that's that's an accomplishment there, an achievement there. So, and again, you said so many great things about him. Um, I'm not going to speak too much more on him, but my number eight fighter, my number eight lefty is Michael Moore. All right, all right. Uh, my number eight fighter, uh, and I watched this guy, Ashley, even before I was heavy in the boxing, I was into boxing. I would watch it, but I wasn't as heavy because it wasn't until 15, really 15 to 20 years ago. But I watched this guy coming up, and he was always interesting to watch. He was exciting to watch. And I was like, hmm, interesting. And not knowing as much as I know now about boxing, he did it capture my imagination. I thought he was <laughs> unbeatable, actually. Uh, and that guy is uh, none other than Prince Nassim Hamed. Uh, at featherweight, of course, he didn't, he didn't get those the fights he should have gotten against, you know, Eric Morales, and uh, he just missed Manny Pacquiao, which would have been a, a barn burner. Um, he didn't necessarily fight Juan Manuel Marquez. Uh, of course, he lost to Barrera. Um, it wasn't the beatdown that people say it was. Yes, he lost the fight comfortably, and Barrera put on this all-time great performance, but it's not like he just... Uh, beat the crap out of, of, of uh, Hamed. Uh, Hamed was still, you know, took his, his loss gracefully. Uh, but even before then, he was dominating. He was knocking featherweights out, guys who who don't normally get knocked out. And he, he do have that victory over, uh, you know, Kevin Kelly, you know, Wayne McCullough. Uh, those were, were pretty respectable fights at the time. You know, he, he was dominating uh, featherweight in in whatever you put in front of him, he would beat. And it was, he was, he had tricky footwork. You know, he, was, he of course he was off balance. He wasn't always technically sound, but it worked for him for a time. And uh, it wasn't until he, you know, he made the move kind of from uh, his original trainers and and he, and even uh, Wayne um, Emmanuel Stewart that he started not really training a lot and not trying to uh, 
to win the way he should have. And it, and really, had he, he he fought to the best of his ability, we'd be talking about him right now along the greats. I mean, he was just as uh, athletic as, as any fighter you could name. He just wasn't as dedicated. But uh, I believe the eye test and what I saw and how he captured my imagination puts him on his list at number eight, and that's Prince Nassim Hamed. All right, the Prince... Okay, I have the prince. Uh, so again, you you got another person that I have. So I, I'm not even going to touch too much on him. You said a lot, so I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm gonna let you go to go again because Prince made number seven for me. <laughs> okay, uh, my number seven pick, and you already mentioned him was uh, Michael, uh, second to none. I mean, this guy was uh, very underrated. I think he it, it's because he became between. Uh, two eras. He was right after the Marvin Hagler era, the Sugar Ray Leonard era. Uh, and he was, it was a little bit before uh, the Bernard Hopkins and James Tony era. Of course, James Tony, uh, you know, got all his marbles from, from, from that <laughs> defeat. You know, they call him lights out and all that because, because of that. Uh, but, but even before that, he has that, you know, knockout over Donald Curry. He, um, Marlon Starling, who's another fighter who's underrated, who fell in that period between Sugar Ray Leonard and, and uh, the, the 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 De La Hoyas and the Roy Jones and all that, uh, they're between those eras. And I think a lot of those guys, uh, you know, Donald Curry, Curry, uh, Mark Breland, they get uh, very underrated. And I think Michael Nunn really, really suffered from that. Um, and that's my number seven pick. That's uh, Michael second to nine. Okay, so my number six pick um, is going to be Ronald Winky Wright. And so with Winky, uh, he just was real solid. You know, he started his career. Um, you know, it wasn't like he was just a glamorous fighter, and you know, they gave him everything. He had to earn everything that he had, and he had that you know very tough defense to penetrate. Um, he, I thought he beat Fernando Vargas back in 99 when they uh, fought uh, in that matchup. He had a um, split decision loss or a majority decision loss. You know, in his career, he beat Shane Mosley twice. You know, he had the victory over Tito. Uh, he had the controversial draw with Jermaine Taylor. That's another fight that I thought he won. He also held a victory over Ike Corte. And so just based on his longevity, um, you know, always willing to fight the tough opponents, and he was just a tough out for anybody, you know, even at the tail end of his career. And so my number six fighter is going to be Ronald Winky Wright. All right, all right. Uh, my number six fighter uh, is also Ronald Winky Wright. Um, you, you touched on it a lot. Uh, well, well, he was very, you know, very underrated, uh, tough guy. I respect him a lot. And, and, you know, you put me on that fight between him and Julio Cesar Vasquez. And I respect him even more since watching that fight because it showed, like, you know, he improved from that time. He's a, he, he became a different fighter. And for, when you look at that fight, you look at his fights, you know, his later fights, uh, when he became who he was, who we know him as, uh, he really gained a lot of poise. I mean, it's almost like he just gained that. He learned that, you know, and that's respectable because that's – the fight with Vasquez is one of those fights where, you know, people might look at him as he has, he might have a shaky chin, you know, uh, he, he might not be a, that tough, you know, and, and Winky 
from that point on proved he was tough as uh, anybody. You know, we and we saw the fights against Shane Mosley. Um, we saw the even the fights against you mentioned it against uh, Jermaine Taylor, which I did. I thought he edged that one out a bit too, and I, and, and and he pretty much fought you know tooth and nail with Jermaine. I remember Jermaine Taylor was was feared at that time, a feared puncher. And you know, Ronald Winky Wright, he doesn't necessarily have the size of someone like Bernard Hopkins, but he still went in there and and and, and at that point had you know, Jermaine Taylor backing up, uh, and that it proved to me that you know he's one of those uh, elite middleweights, and he, of course he doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, so that's my number six pick, uh, Ronald Winky Wright. All right, so now we're starting to get to the top, upper echelon of the list and so for me uh, when i think about um southpaws one of the first fighters that come to mind is my number nine fighter or number five fighter and that's hector macho camacho i mean the first time seeing him against melvin paul um early in his career had to be in the 80s um just a flashy flamboyant talk real reckless real crazy but he always backed it up and you know a lot of people don't know that hector was very much he was much more aggressive early in his career. You know, he had mm-hmm. wins against uh Rafael Bazooka Lamon for that WBC title for the Featherweight uh, Super Featherweight Championship. He also beat a guy who almost made my list, Jose Luis Ramirez. Ramirez also got the controversial victory over Sweepy a year later. And then the big fight, here's the thing about Hector. You gotta I judge Hector, and again, remember my list is based on when you are at the peak of your career. All of, all of the stuff when Hector moved to because again remember he started at Super Feather so mm. he goes up to get the lightweight championship so then when he goes up to get the um, Super Lightweight Championship Junior Welterweight Championship to me that's not really him at his best but he's still able to perform and you know if he's fighting bigger guys he Hector's not going to get knocked out by too many people you're going to nail him with something. He just knows how to last and, and, and against fights against fighters like Felix Trinidad. There was no reason for him to be in there with him, but he was able to last a lot longer and go go to distance with them because he just know knows the game. You know, he, he at that point he became a person who, you know, he can survive and stuff like that. But that's not him at his peak. His peak was at super featherweight. His peak was at lightweight. Like that was he was. I was wondering if he was going to end up fighting Sweepy at one point because just based on his skill and speed and things like that. I was wondering how much of that would give Sweet Pea a problem, but they never um, got it on. But what I was getting at is the fight that changed Hector Macho Camacho's career was a fight against El Chapo, Edwin Rosario. If you get a chance, look at that fight. You get a chance, look at that fight. And I'm going to tell you why. Because again, Hector Camacho, I used to watch him all the time on, on Saturdays. They used to show him and again, he was real aggressive. And he was catching Aaron Rosario with some shots, but Aaron Rosario was timing him. And, you know, he had heavy hands. And what happened is that was the first time Hector Camacho got really hurt, got really shook. His career changed totally after. He was not the aggressive Hector Camacho anymore after the fight. He got knocked down or hurt really bad in the second round and then late in the fight. He ended up getting the decision, but he was more the Hector Camacho that was like he would run first and he wasn't really overly concerned about getting exchanges like that. Cause when he got in exchanges with Edwin Rosario, it was bad for him. And so that was the, 
turning point of his career. He also um, got victories over Cornelius Bowles Edwards, um, Ray Macho, uh, or Boom Boom Massini for that super lightweight championship. So that's my number nine, number five fighter, uh, Hector Camacho. Yeah, at his peak, man, he was like um, very, very talented um, fighter. Mm-hmm. Good pick, good pick. Uh, my number fifth pick. And I had those rules too, Will. I didn't. I didn't want to. I wanted to stray away from picking guys who who are, who Lexi are still being written, but I couldn't keep them off my list based off what I've been seeing. And that guy's uh, Vasily High Tech Lomachenko. Um, we're like we're watching greatness in motion, and we don't even know it yet. It's like, and and, and the way he fights is almost a combination of. You know, Pacquiao and Floyd in a way, like he's taking some from both of their games, and he's fighting above his natural weight. I, I think he's probably a natural featherweight or super featherweight at most, and he's fighting lightweight, lightweights, and he's fighting a young. Right now, he's going to fight a young gun in, in Telefimo Lopez, and you have people favoring him to win. That's the type of stuff that they that they do when, when your name is Floyd Mayweather or, or Manny Pacquiao. So that shows you we're watching greatness in motion. I mean, he has that win over Gary Russell, which is a very underrated win. No one's beaten Gary Russell since. Uh, and Gary Russell is another underrated fighter, too. Uh, he's beaten, he beat uh, that fight That fight against Nicholas Walters was uh, very uh, underrated. Walters was undefeated at the time. I mean, he was walking through people, walking through uh, uh, Donair, uh, Darchinian. He was he was a big guy um, for a, a super featherweight. You know, he had like a 72-inch reach, which is like most, which is the size of most welterweights. Uh, and Lomachenko basically made him quit in his corner. Uh, Lomachenko, I just tell you, just, just keep watching this guy. He, he He's going to be great. Um, even if he, even if he just, Gets to lose now. His legacy is pretty much uh, there. Um, he may not be as high. If he loses, he may not be as high as, as he can go. But it's no way that he's not a Hall of Famer right now. Um, and that's my number fifth pick, Vasily Lomachenko. All right, so that's your number five. So now I'm, I'm going to slip up in here and get to my number four. My number four shouldn't be any surprise, man. You know, I, I watched this guy. I got much respect for him. Um, you know, I saw him doing his thing, and and this is to me outside of Roy Jones, he's the best super um, middleweight of all time. And I'm talking about the pride of Wales, Joe Kalzaki. Um, Joe Kalzaki caught my eye. You know, I saw him fight you know several opponents. Um, I think that was Charles Brewer and all of those guys. He, he was he was going through some tough super featherweight. I mean, I mean super um, middleweights. But really what caught my eye is when he beat Mikhail Kessler when Kessler was at the height of his career. And I saw Kessler fighting in Denmark, and he was just knocking guys out. Um, you know, he was putting in work. But what Joe Kalzaki did to him, um, you know, he, he – he, like I say, you just have fighters who just – they know what they're doing. And you can just see the difference between him and Kessler. Even though Kessler was very talented – you can just see it was just a level higher that he could go to that Kessler couldn't. So that really impressed me about him. You know, then he had the victories over um, Jeff Lacey. That was probably before the Kessler fight. 
Chris Eubank. Um, you know, he got the Roy Jones uh, victory on his career, although Roy was past his prime. And then he also beat Hopkins in 2008. Some people said Hopkins was past his prime, but Hopkins later on um, had some quality victories after that at light heavyweight. And um, his career extended after that. So I still think that that's a pretty quality victory that he had over Hopkins. But just based on talent, um, you know, in that left-hand stance and towards the end of his career, his hands got kind of weak where he wasn't as potent a puncher, puncher as he was early in his career. But, you know, at his peak, I think Joe Kalzaki more than deserves to be the number four um, all-time Southpaw. Okay. Uh, the number four Southpaw on my list is also uh, Joe Kalzaki. Um, and I, I didn't used to like Joe Kalzaki, actually. Um, but one thing about him, Joe can go. Uh, he, he throws punch after punch. And you said it well, Will. I mean, the, the guy, I mean, a legend. Uh, that fight against Jeff Lacey, I remember I was a Jeff Lacey fan, you know. And that, the fight was funny and sad at the same time. Like, I watched Jeff Lacey age in that fight and it's like he was never the same and you know joe kawasaki is a guy they, they they would call i remember before that they were calling him cows slappy and all that say slap you and all that but whatever it was it was a thousand slaps hurt and and and, and jeff lazy learned that uh, and joe kawasaki he, he had he was always conditioned he was in great shape stayed in shape uh he had to fight against uh, Kessler, of course. You mentioned that. Uh, Kessler, I was a big fan of Kessler, and I thought Kessler would beat Kawasaki, of course. Uh, Kawasaki proved me wrong, proved me wrong with, with um, Hopkins also. And, of course, he you know, he beat Roy Jones at the end of his, his you know, at the end of Jones' rope. But even then, um, one, one thing I did look at when it pertains to those fights, especially against Hopkins and Roy Jones, both those fighters – you know, caught Joe early and hurt him. And, you know, we saw Joe make the adjustment. We saw his toughness come out where, you know, he, he, he didn't get hurt again in those fights. You know, of course, he had a tougher time with Hopkins. Um, but, I mean, what more can you say? He, he retired 46-0. It's like um, he's the other undefeated – he was the other undefeated guy who retired, you know, when Floyd did. Uh, in Floyd's era before, you know, IG Ward made his case also. So that's my number four pick, the pride of Wales, Joe Kawasaki. All right. So my number three softball on my list is, um, well, he's actually a senator out there in the Philippines. Um, very, you know, and it feels like every time I do a list, he ends up on the list. You know, last time we did one as far as, like, the top pound-for-pound fighters of the decade, the top pound-for-pound fighters of this era or currently. Um, so, you know, it's, it's none other than Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao. And I'm not going to go too much into it because every episode I feel like I'm saying the same thing. You know, all of the victories he had, Bradley, Margarito, Claudi, Marquez, Thurman, you know, he's a legend, you know, Um He's he's just to me he's he's the man. But as as far as his skills are concerned, you know, like I say, Pacquiao, he just does some things that other fighters can't do, and it's remarkable at his size to be able to go go up all of those weight classes and perform the way he's done. He's one of the few guys that moved up so high and still packed that powerful punch. You know, 
Um, so it's, it's you know, I, I've, if you listen to other episodes, you know the feelings um, and what I think of Manny Pacquiao. So I'm not going to say too much more, but he's my number three fighter on my list. Okay. Number three southpaw on my list uh, is also uh, Manny Pacquiao. And let me tell you, uh, yes, sir, you know, our list might look similar, but, you know, Will and I, we haven't seen each other's list. But we're going off, you know, what we know in our, our research. Um, and Manny Pacquiao, I mean, what more can can we say about him? You know, a legend. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you, you know all about him. Uh, he's a current fighter, so um, it's not much we can say that uh, no one probably already don't know about him. Um, but, yeah, my number three pick, uh, Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao. All right, so my number two and number one, it was splitting hair. So, um, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it could have went either way. And so, but it was a couple things. Once I get to my number one fighter, then I'll explain the differences why I chose him over my number two. But my number two is going to be the marvelous one, Marvin Hagler. You know, Marvin Hagler has so many different title defenses. You know, he was a seek and destroy. Um, type of warrior um, oh, so feared by fighters you know he has the victories over Hearns he has the victories over Mugabe he got the victory over Duran um, it's, it's so much that you can say about him um, like I said he was just a monster inside the ring you know like I say that seek and destroy he was going to beat you down you know, especially at the peak of his career. You didn't really want to have to face somebody like Marvin Hagler. He just started to fight off by hitting his own self in the face. He's ready for war. Um, so, you know, I'm going to leave it at that. But my number two southpaw of all time is going to be the marvelous one, Marvin Hagler. Okay. Uh, my number two southpaw is actually my, one of my favorite fighters of all time, if not my favorite fighter. That's usually the one I list <laughs> my favorite fighter. Uh, is marvelous Marvin Hagler. Um, Hagler, you know, legend to me. I'm, I'm, I'm still salty about that Sugar Ray Leonard fight, you know. But Marvin Hagler, you know, a legend, you know, in his own right, um, has victories over, of course, uh, rest in peace, Alan Mentor, who uh, Hagler beat for the title. Um, we know a lot of guys weren't keen on fighting Hagler, but he gave Hagler that shot. Um, you know, of course, and that's where Hagler got his, his middleweight title from. But the guy, you know, legend, uh, he could switch hit. He was an effective switch hitter. He could fight from either, you know, either orthodox or southpaw. Uh, in actuality, I think Hagler might have been. I think he was right. He definitely was right-handed. Uh, and I also believe that Winky Wright might have been right-handed also. Uh, so that's what, you know, their great jabs and, and left hook came from. Um, but yeah, Hagler is just a legend, you know. Not much can be said about him that, you know, you already didn't say, Will. Uh, legend is on right. That's my number two, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. All right. Um, so, number one, I, I'm sure most people will know already. If you know boxing, um, it, for me, it had to go to Sweet Pea. And I shouldn't say it had to go. <laughs> he moved it out uh, because of the fact that he moved up different weight classes. So he proved his worth in, in different weight classes. Hagler, as great as he was, I still think that Hagler had the benefit of having those welterweights come up to him. 
So his big wins are guys who moved up in weight to fight the middleweight champ. Now that wasn't unique at that time in history, even to this even to this day. A lot of times welterweights will move up to middleweight to try to get that middleweight belt. And so, like during that time, you didn't have a super middleweight division. So Hagler, for him to move up, he would have to go all the way up to 175, which is 15 pounds to face someone like Michael Spinks. And he was comfortable at, at one. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from Hagler, but I'm just saying if I'm going to separate the two, if, it, if I'm going to use something to, you know, make a distinction between Sweet Pea and Marvin, that's one thing that I look at is Sweet Pea starting his career at lightweight, uh, dominating there, going up to junior middleweight, junior welterweight, you know, getting belts there, and then being a pound for pound uh, number one fighter at welterweight. And so to me, that's just a little bit more. Uh, remarkable than what Hagler did, although what, what Hagler did was remarkable. Um, with Sweet P, also the Olympics, you know, he was an 84 Olympian. Um, Hagler wasn't. I know we just talked about the pros, but some of those things you have to factor in when you are splitting hairs between such all-time greats, you know. And I've said this before, Sweet P is my favorite fighter of all time. Um, all of the things that he did on ABC Sports with Alex Wallow um, and those guys, uh, show, showcasing those fights, the fight he had with Roger Mayweather, um, the uh, the big, come on, man, the fight with Julio Cesar Chavez, that was like the biggest thing ever at that time. And he put on the show, you know, the number one and number two fighters in the world. Um, yeah, and, and even at the tail end of his career to be able to do the things that he was doing, fighting Oscar De La Hoya, um, a young man, you know, and putting up such a great performance showing the heart of a lion against Felix Tito Trinidad, you know. So, without a doubt, my number one southpaw of all time is the gentleman out of Norfolk. Rest in peace, my man. And that's Sweet Pea Whitaker. Uh, yes, my number one pick. Uh, it comes to no surprise. It's uh, Sweet Pea Pernell Whitaker. Uh, not much I can say that haven't been said. Uh, of course, um, tough guy uh just an all-time great um tricky tricky fighter it's funny that uh 84 olympics i believe that they looked at uh i believe he was probably the most he ended up being the most accomplished of course you know you had also had you know guys like holyfield on that on there and um uh Meldrick taylor i believe uh, Howard Davis Jr. was on there. Was he on that? I, no, I, no Howard Davis Jr. was 76. 76. 76. I know Howard Davis was. I, yeah, I know Howard Davis was favored over someone. I think that was Sherry Leonard that they thought he was better than. Uh, so Pernell Whitaker, you know, he probably that '84 Olympic team, um, probably the most accomplished uh, of that team. Uh, uh, of course, him. Probably he was probably the most talented of that team. Of course, you had Holyfield who accomplished a lot in his own right, and other guys who greats that were on that team. You know, a bunch of gold medals. Um, but the guy was just a great. If you want to look up, you know, poise. You know, you might find his face. You know, next to that dictionary term. I mean, the guy. Uh, even when he play around, he's better than most guys who was in the ring with him. Uh, legend. Um, Rest in peace, you know. Uh, I remember where I was when, when, I, when I heard the news. I mean, uh, great guy. Uh, and that's my number one pick, Sweet Pea Parnell Whitaker. 
Yeah, bro. We were on vacation. I was out in uh, the Dominican Republic. We, I had a couple more days left. My partners were about to leave. And I woke up and I got the message and it said that Sweet Pea died because um, of that car accident. That was like, I want to say, I got the message on the 15th, but I know it happened on the 14th. That was that morning. And that almost ruined my trip, man, you know? So, but yeah, pound for pound, great. One of the best pound for pound fighters of all time, but definitely one or two when it comes to best South Florida of all time, especially the ones that we've seen. Right, right. Um, anything else that you want to want to say before we go ahead and wrap these things up? Uh, no, I, I believe we said it, you know, uh, these top 10 Southpaws, uh, the, 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 of course the top five, they, I'm pretty sure they earned it, you know, great guys, you know, so. Absolutely. it's tricky. Like, you know, sometimes when a fighter has to fight a Southpaw, they, that camp, they got to like re learn how to do certain things because that they're going to be, be, uh, you know, getting punches from the total opposite of what they're used to. So they got to retrain themselves to be able to fight. But softball is very tricky, you know, especially the ones that know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, we're going to wrap this show up. Um, next, next episode, we'll be um, back. The three amigos will be back, you know? Um, so this one, we just want to make sure that we stayed on point and get this information out there to y'all. And so hopefully you enjoyed it and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.